Hey, Hillary. Yannick. I recently recorded an episode about Dune, the book and movie and long-running franchise Dune, with our friend Sarah Jacoby Murphy. But she and I never did a synopsis, so if people don't know anything about Dune, are they going to be lost with our discussion? And you don't know anything about Dune, is that correct? I don't know anything about Dune. But you've seen the movie. I've seen the movie. I've heard you talk about it. Okay. So I guess... crazy words. Yes. Well, (laughs) yeah. So pretty much, yeah, that's Dune. But I wondered if maybe you, as a Dune layman, could just... (laughs) Give a brief plot synopsis of Dune, what you know of Dune. Just a very brief synopsis of the novel Dune. Top of your head. Which I haven't read. What is Dune about? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to say Dune is about a guy named Paul. Paul Atreides, He's yes. He's like a prince of some, of like a royal family of some kind. Son of a very powerful duke, Duke okay. Leto Atreides. And they are on one planet, and then the emperor yes. gives them... Like the responsibility uh-huh. for this other planet, which is a deserty planet, yes. but it has the spice that everybody likes. You're doing really well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so they go there, but then it turns out that it was like a trap for the family. Right. The Atreides family, like the Atreides dynasty, is sort of deemed to be too powerful. So they're like, we'll give you this garbage planet that makes spice, but it is, it's kind of a, a setup. Yeah. So then. They go there and they're like, this is all sabotaged, but we're going to make the best of it. And they try to make friends with the locals who are... The Fremen. The Fremen. Yes. Who are like desert people. And have adapted to living in in Dune in this sandy world. And they have blue eyes. Because of the spice. They have fancy blue eyes. Because of the spice. And because of the spice. It's called. Which is in the dirt? Yes. Okay. They have to like like mine it and refine it from the dirt. But okay. it's but it's how they use their technology. It's like it's a really crucial part, not just to the planet of Dune, but to the universe. So it's like a big economic, yes thing. Yes, is it an analogy for oil? Hmm. I suppose it could be. It's treated a little bit like LSD at times, but yes, it could be. It could be an oil psychotropic thing. oil. The book actually has a lot more Islamic overtones than the movie, so that would actually kind of make sense. Hmm. Anyway, so then they go to this planet. Yes. Then the family that that was there was at that planet before uh-huh, uh-huh. comes back right. and like kills everybody. The Harkonnens. The Harkonnens. Yes. They're pretty much just evil. They're just bad. Yes. They come back, they kill everybody so they can take the planet back, but Paul no? Well, yeah, yes. I mean, but they only care about the spice. They don't care at all about the planet. They just want the spice. And Duke Leto Atreides is actually like a good man and a good leader and, and wanted to Paul's work with dad. the friend. And Paul's dad. Paul's Leto. dad. So, yeah, that's the plan. But then ultimately, Paul, the prince guy, yes. and his mother are like stranded on this planet, which is Dune. It which is, is Dune. Dune. Which is Dune, yes. Doesn't have another name? Oh, they call it Dune. They call it Dune? Yeah. Okay. So, Paul and his mother. Jessica. And Jessica is a Bene Gesserit, which is like a, <laughs> which is like sort of a, a, a mystical quasi-religious sect. It's like of a people. sisterhood, yes. kind of a situation. Yes, and so she's been teaching him like weird magical ways. Yes, and the thought they is get that, there, yes, okay, and it turns out that everybody thinks he's some sort of messiah, right? Who's going to like the bring Hatterach. that thing? Yes, and he's going to save everybody, right? And is that it? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good foundation. Okay, that's where we're at. Yeah. Dune. All right. Well, thanks for your help. You're you're welcome. Now let's I ro- hope that it was useful. I think it was. I feel enlightened. Let's roll into our episode with Sarah Jacoby Murphy. Thanks for tuning in to House Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library recorded right here in Wellsville, New York. I'm Nick Gunning, and today I'm joined by my old friend, Sarah Jacoby Murphy. Sarah, welcome. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be here with all of you. This Dune conversation between the two of us has been years coming at this point? At least one year, maybe closer to 18 months. Okay. (laughs) I think I read it last spring. Spring of 2020, pandemic time. I appreciate your knack for details, something that will become very helpful when reading the book Dune. (laughs) <laughs> by Dune. By, Dune by Frank Herbert. All right, so uh, Sarah and I are going to be talking about Dune a little bit later. We've both read the book. Uh, we also just recently watched the new movie, so we're going to dive into all of that. And I know, Sarah, you've gone a little bit ahead of me and read other Dune books, so 
we'll mm-hmm. we'll get there. All in good time. All in good time. Right. But let's begin by opening our books and see where our bookmarks are. Gosh, Sarah, what about you? You know, usually when when you and I talk about books, you've read a whole slew of like really dense, quasi-depressing kind of things. And I'm wondering if the streak is going to continue here today. Oh, man, I'm glad you asked, Nick. <laughs> I Well, so I don't know. I, like, So what I'm currently reading is yeah. the very long French novel by Marcel Proust in Remembrance oh. of the Past. Okay. Yeah. Which I had for a, a very long time. I kept it on my bookshelf to show people how smart I was yes. without ever reading it. <laughs> and I finally made the dive. Um, and it's very good, but, uh, man, it's slow. Yeah. I checked all the boxes. Um, depressing, long, <laughs> meandering. Good. <laughs> Good. My wife has read Swan's Way. That's Proust, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. but I haven't. So long and meandering, and you're still, you're right in the middle of it. Uh, I mean, if right, like, I'm like 150 pages in, which okay. is maybe like 15% of the wow. way in. Okay. Think, if you read all of them, if you read all of them together. Okay. So. But yeah, that's really my only thing that I'm reading right now, though. I'm stuck in a couple of books that I mm-hmm. just can't. Mm-hmm past the halfway point what about you yeah i'm in a similar situation because i started david copperfield by charles dickens mm-hmm. pre-pandemic and i don't know i just haven't had the fortitude to sit down and like power through it though i think i am about halfway through that's a pretty monstrous book and i am enjoying it but that's that's always like my back burner book you know like i'll pick that up in between and pound through a couple chapters it was very segmented that book um, so I always mm-hmm. kind of have that brewing in the background. Yeah, that's that's how the Proust book has been for me for a while, too, where I'm like, I'll read 10 pages yeah. and then call yeah. it a day. <laughs> yeah, as long as the bookmark keeps slowly moving, you know, you can see that progress <laughs> being made. Uh, I great. recently read a book called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Are you familiar with this book? You know, I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, I have never... it won all sorts of awards when it came out. Uh, and it's one we're doing for the Library Book Club, but it's one I've been wanting to read for a while. And it's... So the the topic is really it's race relations, but it's not like a it's not like a dark and dour kind of look at it. It's a much more like I don't know, it's it's a very approachable kind of read and it's all sort of like look, there's a lot of people with good intentions who are still kind of racist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's uh, I really liked it I, it was one that I was listening to it primarily on audiobook and it was the kind where I would like I'd get home and I'd sit in the car to like get to the next chapter because like I just you know I had to know what it was so yeah. I went through that one pretty quickly and I'm I'm excited to talk about it in the book club yeah definitely so I heard someone say recently about that book they were trying to predict classics mm. they had that on their list so I'm curious what do you think about that really? do you think it will be a classic huh you know, I mean, it's, I think it's, I think it's certainly like relevant and appropriate for this morning. I said it wasn't like dark and dour because I feel like a lot of the books that are being written on that topic right now tend to go down that way. So I think this one is mm-hmm. really distinctive and let it, it is much more like a, approachable kind of read. I wouldn't have put that on my predictions for a future classic. Hmm. Uh, it, partly because I feel like it's really tied to this moment in time like there's an inciting incident in the beginning where amira who's the babysitter has to take the daughter for an an emergency thing and so it's she and the daughter in a grocery store at like 11 o'clock at night and the security Mm -hmm. guard just automatically assumes that she's kidnapped this poor helpless white child (laughs) Uh, and that's where everything kind of like comes from that like that event and i would hope that that event is something that is not going to be something that we're talking about in 50 years irrelevant <laughs> yeah yeah no so yeah. i don't know i don't know interesting and definitely worth a read i don't know if i'd uh, i don't know if i'd put it on my future classics list but i definitely enjoyed it yeah on the lighter side i read wonder woman earth one volume three so you're not a comic book gal are you you don't no it's not your I jam. Feel okay insane. no that's fine <laughs> so this is a uh, dc comics has this line of books that are all called earth one and it's basically just a, an avenue where they tell standalone stories that aren't connected to, you know, the Wonder Woman comics that have come before or other comics that are concurrently happening. Because if you try to read modern comics, it's like, oh, ho, ho, you're reading Wonder Woman, but you got to go read this issue of Justice League. Otherwise, you won't know what happens next. It's mm-hmm. that whole thing. The Earth One line has Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Teen Titans. And it's all just sort of like, this is a complete story. So they're they're pretty good for someone like you who is not a comic book fan because you don't really have to go into them with any knowledge. And when it ends, it ends. So you're not like, what next? That definitely sounds like a classic though. 
the, the, the Wonder Woman <laughs> for future yeah. class. Yeah. Yep. They're going to be reading that one. You got me. School, you got me. Sure. They will be teaching this. You'll learn about this in elementary school. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would be up for it. Lend it to me, Nick. I okay. will read it. All right. I don't think I have ever read a single comic book, really? but I have enjoyed graphic novels, yes. which in my mind are different. I yeah. don't know if, if they are actually categorically different. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'd be totally game. I think when you're talking about comic books, you are talking about more like long format. You know, this is an yeah. issue of an ongoing series. These mm -hmm. Earth One titles, I would probably classify more in the graphic novel section because they're not traditional mm -hmm. issues. And like I said, they're a contained start and finish. But three volumes of this and they've come out. It's like every other year. So I feel like I read the first volume I don't know, three or four years ago at this point, And I really liked that. Like the first volume is one of my favorite Wonder Woman comics that I've read. And mm. two and three were okay. And three does make a good conclusion, but I still feel like it would have been a stronger story if it was just volume one, you know? Mm -hmm. hmm. What I'm currently reading is very applicable to our conversation today. So I won't get into it until later, but I'm reading <laughs> Paul of Dune by Ooh. Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. That's the pre, pre Dune story, correct or no? Well, it's a little bit of both. It is like if if you were going to read them like chronologically, I think you would read Paul of Dune directly after Dune because it's kind of in that space between Dune and Dune Messiah. But it has mm -hmm. large sections that are flashbacks to Paul and Leto when Paul is younger. It's a little bit of both, but I am enjoying it so. But we'll save it. We can't. We can't jump ahead, Sarah. Yeah, yeah let's strict, not get in. Let's not <laughs> calm down. That's a Whoa. strict, yeah, <laughs> strict format. All right, uh, let's take a look at some book news. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. All right, this is the hardcover fiction list. Sarah, what's your preference in reading? Do you like a hardcover? Do you like a paperback? Do you like digital? So I used to always like paperbacks, and okay. then I married book snob who really oh. think art covers are better quality really? designed to be long lasting huh. uh, so so i could go either way now i'm yeah. used to both i i do not prefer digital that's difficult for me i like pulled it in my hand flip the pages smell yeah. it all of the tactile and sensory things no i agree i don't uh i've i've come around a lot uh on digital i, I read a lot more ebooks than i used to paul of dune actually is an ebook that i'm reading um but yeah, I don't really have a preference. My wife is like strictly paperback only. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of interesting the quirks that people have. I do think the hand feel of a paperback, you just can't, the fully pages, you yeah. really, you know, a hardcover can never match that well, feeling. Well, like if you're, if you're like sitting in a chair and you've got like a mug of coffee and you're holding a book, it's a lot easier to hold a paperback. Or if you're in bed and you're like laying back, a paperback, you can hold one handed. Hardcover's a yeah. real commitment. So, exactly. Yeah, you know. yeah. It, it's the people's cover. <laughs> yes, I've never heard it put that way, but yes, you're absolutely right. All right, here's the New York Times bestseller list, and these are all hardcover. So tell your wife these are hardcover, so she can just. <laughs> I'll let her know. Okay, thank Stay you. Stay away. Thank or or you. she'll. That's a good thing for her. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, number ten with two weeks on the list is Silverview by John Lecaire. A London spy chief's investigation brings him to a quiet seaside town where Julian Lonsley has relocated and opened a bookstore. Do you like spy stories, Sarah? I do, yeah. I mean, really anything British and mysterious, oh, I would well, probably... You'd probably be down with John Lacar then. It's, it's on my list. <laughs> oh, it, yeah? Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is probably the one people know mostly of his. Mm -hmm. And... There was a movie with Gary Oldman, which I really liked, and I'd wanted to read the book, but here's here's a little inside tip, Sarah. Tinker Tailor Soldier <laughs> Spy is not the first book in that series, so you don't want to start there. Confusing. It is confusing. Sure. I don't know why that one just like popped, but that's the one that everybody knows, but it's like book four that follows uh, Smiley, is the guy's name, the spy in that. Uh, so it, it's not the beginning, and it's the one people gravitate towards, and so it can be a little like, what is happening so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ask your friendly librarian what the first book in that series is. <laughs> the next one on the list here, number nine, has been on here for 25 weeks. Uh, the wow. Reese, Reese Witherspoon Book Club, Sarah, is not kidding around. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who decided that Reese Witherspoon is like the, the queen of popular literature. But if you put that yeah. Reese Witherspoon sticker on it, people are going to check it out. So I have a question about this because, I mean, has she superseded Oprah or is Oprah still really the queen of the book clubs? I don't, I feel like Oprah's kind of slowed down. I don't know if it's an annual mm -hmm. thing anymore. Uh, it doesn't get a ton of coverage and I don't, I rarely see 
um, Oprah book club stickers on things. Have you ever read Jonathan Franzen? Here's a rabbit hole for you. Have you ever read Jonathan Franzen? You know, I haven't, but I have two of his books in my bookshelf. What do you have? Which is sort of the same thing. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess it is. Which ones do you have? Um, oh, goodness. I have The Corrections. Yeah. That's the famous and, and, one. Yeah. And then there's one more that I have. If you said the name, I would know it. But... Well, the one that I love best is Freedom. And I ha- yeah. You yeah, have yeah, Freedom. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, but it's hard to hear, unfortunately. So oh, I'll probably... got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I really like Freedom. And I also liked Purity. He's got a new one out called Crossroads, which is actually on this list. It's just not in the top 10. Number 13 crossroads Mm. but i bring this up because there was a whole kerfuffle back in the day when oprah decided that uh the corrections was going to be the oprah's book club pick and franzen was like no i don't please don't put the oprah (laughs) sticker on my book please don't do that and i mean they did it because like the publishers you know want to make cash yeah and it was a whole thing with jonathan franzen and the oprah book club so i don't know that sounds like (laughs) it does sound fun doesn't it that's worth that's worth a google i think it's worth your time definitely (laughs) Okay, so, but all that comes back to the Reese Witherspoon book club. And that's because this book, number nine, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave, has been on here for 25 weeks. Hannah Hall discovers Mm -hmm. truth about her missing husband and bonds with his daughter from a previous relationship. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds dramatic. It does sound dramatic, yeah. It's got a very beach read kind of cover, so I don't know if that's really Mm -hmm. what it's about, but that's what it's got. Hmm. Number eight on the list, Oh, William by Elizabeth Strout. Have you read Elizabeth Strout? Like uh, Olive Kittredge or Burgess Boys? I have not. Again, I have her books, I gotta. But... I got to stop asking you these questions. I'm only I, asking I, you the, the ones the that seem like you would have. I have it on my shelf. You have it on your shelf. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lucy Barton. Oh, so this is a recurring character in Elizabeth Strout books. Lucy Barton joins her ex-husband on a trip to look into family secrets. That's not unlike the one we just talked about. That is true. There's yeah. Although some... the husband's still alive. He's alive. It's key to Good well note. to begin with. To begin least. with. True. True. You give me a lot to think about today, Sarah. <laughs> Number seven was six weeks on the list. Apples never fall, which hmm. sounds like a latter day Dr. Seuss book, but it is in fact it's by too. Leanne Moriarty. I'm not I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna ask if you've read Leanne Moriarty. <laughs> but the one people talk about the most is Big Little Lies, and that was made into that Nicole Kidman show. Mm-hmm. Nine Perfect Strangers, also by Leanne Moriarty, also made into a Nicole Kidman show. Interesting. Yeah, do, do with that what you will. <laughs> In Apples Never Fall, the Delaney siblings suspect their father of causing the disappearance of their mother. A lot of these books are about disappearances. True, true. Like secrets, family, yeah. Well. You know. This, this next one's really going to cheer you up. Uh, number six, new this week. So this is new. Dear Santa by Debbie McCumber. A special letter I to Santa. That. You like you like that one? Brings... That's a paperback. That, there's no way that's a hardback, Nick. Well, there's actually, no these come out in small hardback versions. <laughs> Probably so you can get the coin. But you're right. You're right. It does feel, it does feel like you picked this up in an airport. Uh, a special letter to Santa brings about hope, love, and second chances for Lindy Carmichael. Mm. This is not an interesting story, Sarah, but I met Debbie McCumber at an ALA conference a few years ago, and I chatted with her about her book, I don't remember what it's called, An Alaskan Christmas, something like that. It was about going to Alaska for Christmas. And so I chatted with Debbie McCumber about that book, and then she signed a, an audiobook copy of her book, The Cottages, which I have not read. Is she a Christmas writer? Is this no, her no? Deal? I would say no. More like light romance, and not always romance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just like Becky's used bookshop wasn't gonna get the customers she needed, so she had to look onto other options. Luckily, she could bake by Debbie McCumber. You know that sort of thing. <laughs> often, often there is there is romance mixed in though. So if that's your bag, Dear Santa by Debbie McCumber. All right. Number five, four weeks on the list, Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Dewar. Uh, That's not a name. It is a name. He wrote All the Light We Cannot See. Yeah, I was going to say, that title just doesn't really grab me the way that I want it to for a book by him. Cloud Cuckoo Land. So you read All the Light We Cannot See? No, it's on my show. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I wasn't going to bring it up, but you said you had expectations about his writing, so I assumed you read it. See, you know, it just has it's such a, nice a ring to it. But it's a Cloud good Cuckoo Land sounds... Yeah, anyway, tell me yeah, about it. Yeah, I don't know. An interconnected cast of dreamers and outsiders are in a dangerous and disparate setting past, present, and future. Mm. That doesn't tell me I anything. Don't I, don't, I don't think that qualifies as a plot summary. 
here's a here's an odd one for you state of terror by hillary rodham clinton do you remember hillary uh hillary rodham clinton you know i have a vague memory of her do you (laughs) you know what this i didn't even think of this until this moment but at the conference where i met debbie mccumber (laughs) in person hillary clinton was the keynote speaker and i went to her talk we didn't meet but i feel our eyes connected you know yeah so have you met every author on this list or no just debbie mccumber so far but i was in the same room with hillary clinton i mean that's got to count for something yeah, it's, it's the same it's, thing? Okay. I think so. <laughs> anyway, this is by Hillary Rodham Clinton and Louise Penny. Louise Penny, super popular author in Wellsville. She writes the Inspector Gamache mystery series, but here she's writing a political thriller with Hillary Clinton. I read the first couple pages of this and it was rough. Really? So, yeah. okay, well, I don't know how far down this rabbit hole we want to go, but do you think that's a good career move for Hillary? Like writing these... Uh, I mean, you know, I guess she's probably at a point in her life where she can just do whatever she wants, (laughs) except be president, apparently. But any other thing I think she could do. (laughs) And so, you know, she loves... Maybe she's just testing that theory. She's like, I can do anything. Maybe. I know that she loves Louise Penny. That's come up in interviews and things before. So, you know, probably just a fun opportunity. This could be a dream. I mean, good for her. Yeah. Teasing her her life, doing doing what she can with it. You know, reading a novel. Um, I hope she did write some of it. Too. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. She's written several memoirs and things. Bill Clinton. Do you remember the? Uh, do you remember Bill Clinton? Yeah. Again, he I was, don't know. <laughs> William Jefferson Clinton. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's been co-writing books with James Patterson, and they are about like a super sexy president. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I just so started. do you think they just sit at home together, sort of talking about future collaborations? Maybe. What a life. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, you got nothing but time and money. Why not write a schlocky book with James Patterson? I started yeah, why listening. Not? I wonder if there are like a lot of state secrets that are sort of interwoven into Maybe. these books. Or Maybe. This time is- do you know what? <laughs> I don't know why. Sarah, you're just making me go off on all these rabbit holes. But... <laughs> When when the first book, I think it's called The President's is Missing. This is the, the President's Daughter is Missing. I don't know. The, the, the Bill Clinton, James Patterson situation. Yeah. yeah. When that book first came out, they were doing a press tour about it. And with, you know, everything going on at the moment, everybody just wanted to ask Bill Clinton questions about Monica Lewinsky. They wanted to ask, like, you know, we, we, the power that you had, like, isn't that... And so go and find this. I'm sure there's a compilation, but there's so many times where you have Bill Clinton talking about Monica Lewinsky while James Patterson is sitting next to him, just like praying for the sweet release of death. So <laughs> wait, so when was their first collaboration? A couple what years year ago, like two years ago. Oh, okay. okay. But I, there's but already yeah. a second one out. But yeah, I mean, it was yeah, just it was that sort of was like the resurgence of the yes. Monica. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, and just the whole like power dynamic situation was, was big. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, wonderful. Also not really relevant, but up until that point, uh, Jimmy Carter was the only person who, only former president who wrote fiction. It was a novel called The Hornet's Nest, which no one has ever read. <laughs> it's actually on my shelf. Is it? I believe it. If not, I'm going to get it for you for Christmas. Uh, but I should I should tell you about State of Terror, number four on the list here by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Do you remember her? Mm-hmm. And Louise Penny. <laughs> In the wake of the previous administration's mishandling of international affairs, oh boy, oh (laughs) boy, oh boy, the new Secretary of State, (laughs) Ellen Adams, confronts interconnected global threats. I wonder where she gets her inspiration. Hard to know. (laughs) She did not reach far. Hard to know. (laughs) Hard to know. Is there like a private server in this novel? Secretary of State (laughs) Jillary Clanton. Uh, I'd, uh, I'd read this just to just to know. Just I would to know. I would like you to read it and report back. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you can look at my Goodreads, see what I thought of it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, number three, four weeks on the list: "The Wish" by Nicholas Sparks. Maggie Dawes, oh, so. a renowned travel photographer, struggles with a medical diagnosis over Christmas. Hmm. I mean, God, God bless him, but Nicholas Sparks has a format, you know. Like, yeah. if someone's not dead, they're dying. Yeah. And there are going to yeah. be mourners after the fact. I haven't read a ton of Nicholas Sparks. In fact, the only book I ever read by Nicholas Sparks was Knights and Rodante. But after reading mm. all of the synopses, I feel like I get it. 
Yeah, I think so too. You know, I he's someone who I can um I I read him quickly. You do. Definitely a skim. Son of but a, I could have not, reg- <laughs> not regularly. I just you know, if, if there's an occasion if I'm on a plane or on a train or you know, in a doctor's office or whatever, that right. type of setting. Right. Um, and there is you know, the formula is very satisfying. Do you it's, typically it's, travel to your doctor's appointments by train and plane? <laughs> Not always, but when I can. <laughs> when you can, sure. For the sites. But you know so, what I mean? Just like something, like a book you just pick up. I do. Or, or, Heck, yeah. I still read some James Patterson. His Alex Cross series, I still like. So I'm not yeah. I'm not above any of this. Yeah. I'm not above it at what, all. I don't know what it ticks psychologically, but something yeah. about like the well, familiar. I mean, it's cozy. It's comfort food. It's the same reason why mm-hmm. I like Murder, She Wrote and Star Trek novels. You know, mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to get and I like it. So mm-hmm. that's what I said. God bless him. Tell Nicholas me your, Sparks. Tell me your favorite Nicholas Sparks book. I don't know that I have a favorite. Okay. I mean, they all blend together. This well, is, sure. Okay. <laughs> there are pros and cons mm-hmm. to the formula, right? Okay. Um, yeah, they all blend together. I mean, I don't know. Well, did I like the fire one? I'm not oh, sure. yeah. Safe Haven. Safe Haven, yeah. There was like a marriage one. Well, they're well, all They're all marriage ones, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is a pointless conversation. All I, right. I can't. Safe Haven. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lock you in with... Uh, safe haven Great. number mm-hmm. two with three weeks on the list the lincoln highway by immortals two friends who escaped from a juvenile work farm take emmett watson on an unexpected journey to new york city in 1954 this is the same author who wrote that. he wrote gentlemen in moscow which was uh huge i couldn't really get into it i didn't really like it but it was huge so i'm sure this is eagerly awaited number one New this week, The Judges List by Mr. John Grisham. The mm. second book in the Whistler series. Oh, that's that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. Mm. I hated The Whistler. That was one of my least favorite John Grisham books ever. Mm. Anyway, Inspector Lacey Stoltz goes after a serial killer and closes in on a sitting judge. Ooh. Yeah. This one yeah. is no- notable in, in Grisham's like back catalog because he doesn't usually do... Like, there are murders in Grisham books quite often, but this is like a serial killer, and that's a very mm. different vibe for him. I like John Grisham. Is, is the serial killer the whistler? He could be. That would be a oh, dead giveaway no. if you hear <laughs> if you hear whistling, you know. I'm just curious who the whistler is, but I, the whistler, maybe I'll have to read. I believe it was about a whistleblower, as I recall. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't like Possibly. it. It didn't stick in my head. I like the idea of a serial killer who's just whistling as he does evil deeds. It's that, very comic booky. It's know? very comic booky. <laughs> so maybe you'd get into it. Well, that's the uh, that's the hardcover fiction list for November seventh, twenty twenty one. Any any on there, Sarah? Any on there? Make it to your to read list or or your buy and put on a shelf and never read list. <laughs> I mean, they could probably theoretically all be on my buy and never read list. Even um, even dear no, Santa. Knowing me, <laughs> I mean, for 50 cents, yeah, in the right situation at yeah. a library, bail, yeah. sure. Why not? I mean, the one where the kids escape from the from juvie and oh, go yes. to New York, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that sounds Lincoln I Highway, Lincoln Highway, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do report back, all right, shall we uh, shall we talk sandworms? Yes, I would love to talk sandworms, Frank Herbert. Here we come. <laughs> So I'm I'm trying to remember, Sarah, as I look back over our history together, I don't know why we started talking about Dune. We were at like a, you know, a bonfire at my house. And why was it like, I want to read Dune? Why did, why did that happen? Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you why. Well, so it begins with my local library. Okay. Wait, do you want the long version of the story or the I, short version? Hit whatever you got. <laughs> well, it's like a difference of 15 seconds. So okay. I'll give you the Okay. Version, well, you just but, wasted yeah. 15 seconds in asking, so... <laughs> So the beginning of 2020, okay. before the world ended, oh, um, sure. yeah. I, I, well, actually, even before that, I have a very hard time listening to audiobooks, but mm-hmm. I have a long commute. So I'm yeah. always in this constant search for something that can hold my attention yeah. while I'm in the car. And I, I wasn't able to find anything. Anyway, I came across Ready Player One on oh, my Oh, right, app. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you, local library. Yeah. And I loved it. I was so immersed. I thought it was great. 
gave it five stars on Goodreads, all the things. Um, so I thought maybe sci-fi is is what I need to do. Like, like sci-fi books and audio. Then I was searching through my Libby app and uh, Dune popped up. I had absolutely no context or knowledge of what role this book has played in American culture. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I started listening to it, really hated the audio book, <laughs> but thought the world was interesting. Okay. And then I was at a bonfire at your house and, and you were like, well, I have a physical copy. Would you like to borrow it? And mm-hmm. then I borrowed it for um, for uh, over a year. Yeah. You let me keep yes. it at my house. <laughs> uh-huh. You got custody of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I finished it in the physical form and it was great. Yeah. So my, that that same collection that you borrowed from me, like 20 years ago in college, I was at a little antique store in Arcade, New York. And so it wasn't quite 20 years ago. Uh, and I and I found uh, I found this little Dune trilogy. It was like the first three books. And like, I knew what Dune was. And I mean, I liked sci-fi. Uh, and so I picked it up and was like, yeah, this is like a classic. I'm going to read these books. And I don't know. In college, I just, I just couldn't do it. I don't know. I just was like, my head was so full of, I was, because it, it's, it's hard. It's a hard book to read. You know what I mean? It yeah. It kind of feels like yeah. a textbook until you kind of, get a shorthand with it which doesn't really happen until you finish the book and yeah. look back on it but i you know I, you have to have a, a high tolerance for very obscure facts you sure do you sure do so i read probably 50 pages and was like i'll come back to this and then my bookmark was still in there in mm-hmm. the year 2020 when it uh, sure was. when you borrowed it but then i was like well if she's gonna read my copy then gosh darn it i'm gonna read my copy too <laughs> but i went on a similar journey because i started with that audiobook and it was just so bad that I switched yeah. to the uh, the physical copy. And yeah. I did eventually, I don't know, it's like in retrospect, I appreciate it more than I ever enjoyed it while I was reading it. it mm-hmm. Reading that book to me was like, when you get a sliver and a piece of it stays under your skin, and then your skin just slowly forces it out over time. <laughs> that's what I feel like the reading process of this book is. The book just slowly tries to propel you away from it. But I... <laughs> So uh, would you recommend people? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like if you can if you can do it, you know, if you could just kind of like get over the hump and just 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 accept that you're just not going to understand things like for a yeah. while and then you're going to have to like retroactively apply knowledge to figure out what you just read. Like if you yeah. if you got the patience for that, then I do think it's ultimately worth it. That's kind of a backhanded compliment, but I think that's true. I feel like most people would agree with that. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's true as well. And even when you understand what's happening, all of the, um, you know, people's internal monologues, yeah. there's so much that's still almost incomprehensible. It is. But even when you know what's going on in terms of the plot, there are whole, like, pages where Paul's thinking about theoretical future scenarios yeah. and like it doesn't really make sense. Like if you stop to try and really understand it, it's not worth it. It's, it's also not worth your time. it's not a super convenient book to pick up and put down either. <clears throat> Even, Although you did, I did, I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It took me took me eighteen years, but I finally I finally did it. But that's part of it because you really have to commit to it. You know, you got to sit down and like knock out thirty pages <clears throat> yeah. or something to really like let it sit in. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's some fun facts about the book Dune. It was originally published in serial format in Analog Magazine, which I can't wow. even imagine. You know? Yeah. Like, how would you like? Where would you break? I guess any chapter break could theoretically, if you're not committed to people being hooked in by understanding what's going on. If yeah. that's not your hook, <laughs> then sure. Yeah. yeah why not? It could be a serial. Why yeah. not? Uh, it won the Hugo Award and it won the very first mm. Nebula Award. Herbert himself produced five sequels, and then his son Brian Herbert and sci-fi author Kevin J. Anderson produced lots more. There's there's a lot of mm. them now, uh, and th- these are anything from uh, sequels to prequels to midquels, like Paul of Dune that I'm reading right now. They're all over mm-hmm. the place. A lot of them are based on detailed notes left by Frank Herbert. So Brian mm-hmm. Herbert found in his dad's papers a, a huge cache of notes that were like Dune Seven. So. Mm. The the two that kind of conclude the the initial six books are really supposed to be based on that. Who knows? Who knows how true yeah. that is? But um, they're continuing to go and they're continuing to sell. Uh, Sarah, you're a space nerd, right? Mm, sure. You don't like space? I thought you were like NASA and all that kind of stuff. Oh, well, that... No, I, I do like space. But okay. nerd, that's putting a certain pressure on me that I don't oh, like. Oh, so. I see. Okay. 
All right, but you have an interest in in our yeah. space. Okay. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, well, he really took the wind out of the sails about this fun fact. <laughs> but uh, features on Saturn's moon Titan are named after places in Dune. So that's uh, a good space fact. Yeah, it is. So Titan yeah. has it has like these these dark planes, and they're named after like there's there's Arrakis Planitia, Chusek Planitia, and and a bunch of others. They took all the names of for Titan things from Dune. So oh, that's that's great. So if you you know if you wanted to start an online bookstore that would eventually turn into like a space romp, you could maybe go to Arrakis yourself. You know. <laughs> If you wanted, I'll put that to. on my bucket list. <laughs> if you if you wanted to, trip to Saturn. <laughs> so, you now so you right away you you read Dune Messiah pretty quick after this, right? So you weren't daunted, I guess, by Dune. No, well, so I read it a year later. A year later, okay. Yeah, yeah so you so had my books in, a long in time. time frame of reading Dune. That's very quick <laughs> for everyone else. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's a yeah. long time. I'll but finish that in my retirement. <laughs> I yeah, so I read Dune Messiah about a year later, and I would actually say so. Reading Dune Messiah, where Dune ends, it, it, it doesn't actually feel like the end of the story. Oh, no. Reading Dune Messiah felt like a complete unit. Okay. Like, part one was Dune, part two was Dune Messiah. Obviously, Herbert went on to write more. Um, but that really felt like it should have been the first book. Because when Dune ends, it just kind of ends. It does. It's yeah. so anticlimactic. It's a little confusing. You know? Like, I hit that last page because there's all sorts of appendices and glossaries and mm. stuff in the back of the book. So I didn't actually realize I was that close to finishing it. And so I read the last section and I turn the page and I'm like, what? Because it's not <laughs> it's not a tidy finish at all. It's just like, and yeah. I shall stop writing now. Exactly. They're all just standing around staring at each other. And, yeah. The yeah. end. It's not quite what you want. But it was still enough to keep me going. I mean, I think the strength of Dune is, is the world um, and its complexities. Yeah. Like there are pros to how detailed everything is, yeah. but, um, but it's interesting. I mean, if, if you're able to, to get into it, there's, there's so much to think about and explore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I, I would like, so my, my wife read a little bit of this aloud to me when I was like doing other things and she'd be like, so wait, what is happening? And then I would like explain to her what had happened in the book before then. And in the process of explaining it, I'd sort of be like, man, this is really multifaceted. You know, like the more you think about it, there's so much with each individual character. I feel like there's nobody in here who's only working one angle, you know, like everybody's got so many different things going on. It's just this patchwork of motivations and, uh, you know, and and goals and things that all these characters are, are trying to meet. So like, it's kind of hard to follow any one storyline because they're so interconnected and there's, mm-hmm. there's religious elements. There's just relational elements. There's political elements, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's just, there's so much of it going on. That's something that I really do appreciate because a lot of times in sci-fi, I feel like, especially classic sci-fi and like, don't at me, but like in my experience, I feel like they are, they don't do a ton with character development. And I feel like you yeah. can't really knock Dune for not developing the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, and I think something else that I appreciated about it is um, in line with the complexity and what, and what you're saying about everyone having kind of multiple motivations yeah. and, and things happening. Um, but just that how much he talks about ecology, not just in terms of the planet, like right. the ecology of the environment of Dune, but this idea that one small change impacts everything else, which yeah. is an idea that takes out of ecology. And they talk about it in relationship to this goal of Dune becoming some sort of lush world. Yeah. That, uh, like in the appendix about the ecology of Dune, they talk about how, like, if you introduce one species that can have all sorts of unintended consequences. And um, they talk a lot about that, but it's interesting because in the book, that's true of the political ecosystem. That's true when Paul is looking at his timelines and all of these, like, yeah futures and and possible things where it's like everything impacts everything else in these like minute ways yeah yeah Um, it's true you know it's funny because on the one hand it is a very dense book like it's a it's a dense read and one of the things like i don't read a ton of fantasy and i've you know i've complained about this many times on the podcast so sorry everybody but one of the (laughs) things that drives me a little crazy about fantasy sometimes is that there's so much explanation about the world and Dune, I think, really drives home, like, why that's necessary. Because mm-hmm. so much of this book, they just throw out a term, and that's it. They just move on. Yeah. So you better hope that you're already from, like, Kaladin or something. Yeah. <laughs> and you just know 
because, and that was a frustrating thing when I first tried to read it, because I was constantly going back to the glossary to try to be like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Which, the glossary, not that. It's not really, no. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's there, Yeah, and it can provide a couple of, like, helpful terms, but right. um, I, I would flip back there often and not find anything at all. True. What I need. Well, it's it's almost like if you have a general idea of what they're talking about, the glossary might confirm that you were right. But if you have no yeah. idea, you'll be like, oh, okay. So now you've defined that term with other nonsensical words. <laughs> Thanks so much. Helpful. Helpful. Yeah. yeah. So I picked up Paula Dune because I knew that you were reading or had read Messiah. And for a long time, I'd kind of toyed with the idea of picking up one of the prequels that were written by a more, you know, with a more modern sensibilities in mind. And Kevin J. Anderson, I've read a lot of his stuff, mostly Star Wars, like uh, the Jedi Academy trilogy or that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I'm familiar with his writing and I like it typically. And so for a long time, I was like, I should just read one of those prequels. And then that'll give me kind of like a basis for what the world is like. And then, you know, maybe Dune will be a little bit more like palatable for me. I'll be able to Mm -hmm. understand a little more clearly. And Mm -hmm. well, I guess I'm glad I didn't do that. Reading Paul of Dune was actually really helpful to kind of contextualize what happened in Dune because it's moments after. And Mm -hmm. and so as they're kind of discussing what has happened, it allowed me to kind of make connections that I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Or like, yes, that's what I thought, you know? Yeah. Because it is, it's, I mean, I haven't finished it, and so I can't say, like, how good it is, ultimately. I do feel like it captures the world well, but the the style is very different, so... I was just going to ask about that. It'd be kind of jarring. I was just going to ask if you can tell uh, that they're written by different authors. You can. I mean, they do a lot with... They follow the same format, so, like, there's not, like, chapter one, chapter two. It's always, like, a quote from some, you know, work of fiction, like, or work of nonfiction from within the Dune world. But it is just a much more modern take on it. You know, I, I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it. It's just when you sit down and, and read it, it just, it flows a lot more naturally. And I think is more focused on, it's, the I don't know. Experience. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's trying to make sure that you understand where we're, what we're talking about and where we are in the grand scheme of things and all that, which is not yeah. something that Dune bothers with. So no, um, which is know. something that I missed. I mean, because I think the what I've pieced together of the backstory, like I, I think it's uh, so interesting that this takes place in our universe, right? Yeah, you know, but ten thousand years or twenty thousand years later, it's just interesting to think about what humans will be like, right? And even that they're, uh, you know, I love this idea that they had this. Um, I forget what they call it, but when they destroyed all artificial intelligence, right? That there was this kind of great climactic war between humanity and the machine and they no longer have computers but they've instead focused on developing the human mind right to have these computational powers that it might need or even the psychological powers like in the case of the the Bene Gesserit order and things like that and I think that's so interesting to think about how humanity will evolve over the course of thousands of years yeah but they don't really talk about that background and I'm like I want to read that book (laughs) yeah well the connections to like our time and like earth uh, are actually played up a little bit more in Paul of Dune. So I don't know if that's true of the other like Anderson and, and Brian Herbert books, but that's there. Mm. But you bring up an interesting point, And that is that like, there's not a lot of like science in this science yeah. fiction. You know what I mean? They Like they have equipment, like they have their suits that, you know, repurpose moisture and all that stuff. But there's mm-hmm. never like a, here's how they work. It's just like, put this suit on and drink your own urine. Get out there, you know, and that's it. Like, you don't you don't get, it's very like soft sci-fi, you know? Yeah. Well, and even that the way that they navigate through space is because, um, you know, the Space Guild, which is a navigational right. group of people, essentially, have some sort of like psychological ability to see far enough into the future to navigate. Right. So it's not, it's not any it's not with a computer it's just hard to imagine how that actually functions in practice that you'd be able to through space because you can see into the future short term like why would that actually be helpful i'm not (laughs) sure yeah um so yeah you're right some of the technology aspects of it or lack of technology Mm -hmm. is a little bit jarring it is but i I mean like when you're reading it i wasn't constantly like well explain to me how that works but when you really think about you know, like what makes this sci-fi versus fantasy. And I think 
I think because of the connect, like because it's set in like our world in the future, that is really the thing that kind of pushes it over the edge into B sci-fi mm-hmm. versus fantasy. I think if it was just a completely made up world, given mm-hmm. the given the kind of world building they do and the setup that they have, it to me the mystical elements and all that make it play a little bit more like fantasy. So it really, it really walks a fine line there. It's interesting with the mystical elements because a lot of times they try and root that in some sort of like chemical process right? or, or or like selective breeding or whatever. Selective breeding. Exactly. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. But in the end, something like the ability to tell the future, I guess there's an understanding of physics that could accommodate that as a sort of, scientific possibility well um, but it does feel much more like fantasy or yeah. magic than it does sci-fi or science I think the whole thing with like these mind expanding drugs uh makes total <laughs> sense to me when you think about it. we're talking like 1965 you know yeah. when like the beatles are doing lsd to make sergeant pepper and that sort of thing you know i mean like <laughs> this was the moment of like the yeah. conversation being all about like what are the limits of of you know humans minds like how do you how do you tap into all of that? And it's, I think you kind of see that like 60s experimentation vibe happening in here, uh, which I'm sure was intentional. I mean, I'm sure that was part yeah. of the part of the driving force of, of making the spice be such a such a sought after thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also did you have a moment? Um, I had a moment reading it where you just realized that, uh, that yeah, the spice is just a drug. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's not a bad thing i mean it's, right. it's that's what it does and right. everybody needs it and right. how the entire universe functions you're like oh everyone's yeah. just a, a despise yeah okay <laughs> right right and they sort of i don't know like i don't know if excuse it is the right word but it's like how they're able to do the things that they're able to do so it's like there's an argument for it being necessary because because they've set up a society that's based on everybody being on this drug you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. taking it away would be catastrophic because they wouldn't be able to do the things that they have come to rely on it to do. Yeah. So yeah. again, just a lot of really, I, I love all of the, I love all the political stuff with the Atreides line kind of oh, essentially being banished to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. like here, you can go have this yeah. piece of garbage dirt world, <laughs> you know, it, to sort of get away from them. And one thing, uh, this kind of transitions into talking about the movie, but one thing that I really liked in the book that I would have liked a little bit more of in the movie was that Leto, who's the Duke in the beginning, Paul's father, knows that it's a trap. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows I'm being set yeah. up. This is, I, he, he knows exactly what's happening, and he just thinks he can handle it. You know, like, he, mm-hmm. can, he, can thinks that he, he thinks that he can power through it and, like, use it to his advantage. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, without giving spoilers, that's the thing that really is problematic for him because he, I don't know if he has too much confidence or or it's just kind of a hopeless situation. I don't know. But I like the way that was explored in the book and they didn't really touch on that much in the new movie. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. But And it was hard, and I'd be curious to know what Hillary thought about this, but uh, I watched the movie together, obviously, with our, our wives. And, and as I was driving home with Sally, I asked her, like, what did you think that was about? Because yeah. <laughs> having read the book, yeah, I could only see places where it didn't make sense in the movie. I thought things were underexplained. Yeah. And I and I felt like it must be entirely incomprehensible to someone yeah. who has never read the book. Um, but Sally really liked it. Like, it, yeah. that did not bother her that some of these motivations weren't explored or explained. Yeah. For her, that's what made it accessible. And, uh, you know, and to me, I watched it and I'm like, was that a movie? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with you. So we're talking about the, the 2021 movie, not the not the David Lynch, like, 80s movie, which I haven't seen. There was the yeah, 80s and which I'm sure is great. It's probably... Well, it does, it does cover the whole book and it's kind of a cult classic at this point. But this really abruptly stops, this the new movie. Yeah. So I feel like that's a good, <laughs> be warned about that because just like the book, it's just like, and the movie's over right here. You know, yeah, which was an interesting choice because I, I think visually it was a really great movie. Um, and clearly, like, my wife was sucked into it, she will happily watch part two, yeah. But I just thought it was an interesting choice because a lot of the movie really they could have condensed into the first 20 minutes to half hour if True. they wanted True. to yeah. then focus on the other the other half of the book, yeah, and fit it all into one movie. So it was a very deliberate choice to stretch out that um that sort of beginning sequence that yeah. long which is what he does in the book in the first half of the book true 
but not much happens plot wise no it doesn't it doesn't and it's all sort of like well i think he plays a lot frank herbert does in the original book i think he plays a lot with like inevitability you know i think that's a theme mm -hmm. that kind of keeps coming up that like mm -hmm. once paul kind of gets hip to the fact that like this is the course he's going down he's mm -hmm. like his reluctance is not because he doubts himself or he doesn't think it but I mean, he just like he foresees this bloody jihad and he doesn't want to be a part of that you know but it's not that he has doubts it's just like if we're gonna do this it's gonna be like pretty bad um yeah it's so like there's i don't know you just you don't really have a you don't really have a sense of like well maybe that's not gonna happen or maybe i feel like you're kind of told where things are going really early on you know and that's an interesting mm -hmm. choice i think when you're writing yeah. a book like that to sort of be like here's where we're going now read you know the next 400 pages <laughs> And it does work. Yeah. And I think that's a really, that's an interesting thing for him to play with. And it kind of mm. sets Paul apart from other sci-fi messiah type figures, like a Luke Skywalker or something. Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of know that Paul's got it and it's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Like you don't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but right. everything is pointing to yeah, that. That it's, that it's set in stone. And I, mm -hmm. that's an interesting drive for the book, you know? Yeah. I think the terrible purpose, as he would say. Yes, I uh, I do agree with you on the movie, and my wife liked it the same. I mean, she was like, "How long until the second one's coming out?" Like she was really in. So I don't know. I guess maybe if you're watching it blind, you just accept that things will be explained as the story unfolds more. I guess I couldn't stop being like, "Okay, well, here's why that happened," or "Here's what yeah. this character is doing." Like in my head, that's what I was thinking. I was like, "Okay, I get that. That's not on screen, but I understand what we're talking about." But no, yeah, it sounds like they um, both had a similar experience of just being like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm in. Yeah, they weren't even bothered by their yeah. ignorance. They had no idea. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of like the visuals of the movie? Well, so I do think your TV is, is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I think watching it in theaters would have been really cool. Okay. Um, that feels like a criticism, but okay. Yep, go on. <laughs> no, I, I just, just because it is so visually overwhelming, um, they do so much with light. I thought they did a great job with the technology, which we also I talked agree. about when, when we watched it. It felt unique um, it to Dune, which is difficult to do, I think. Certainly, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I thought they did. I thought it was, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought the visuals were good. Do I you agree. have thought? I, I mean, you know, I mean, Dune is legendary for being like a sand world with sandworms. And it was, it was <laughs> very sandy. You know, there was a real like absence of color. Um, which I don't think distracted from it. I guess I was maybe expecting a little bit more like spectacle here and there, but maybe you're right. I mean, maybe that's the, maybe that's the trade off with watching it like at home on HBO max versus in the theater, because mm -hmm. there was nothing, there was no sequence that I found like, Oh wow. You know about it. And I might've in a theater, but I don't really think so. I don't really think that that's what it was going for. So I think it was all really consistent, you know, like the, the costumes, like you said, the technology and everything, like they all, it's a really cohesive world that you see in that movie. And I think that's cool. And mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to the second one. I think the second one will have more interesting things happen. And, and I also, I mean, I think the Fremen and their culture is the most interesting thing Agreed. about the book yeah, and about the movie. And we really don't get into it in this first movie. Yeah. So I think the second one will be a lot more interesting in that regard. And or at least you... I hope so. Uh, and the and the Fremen are the people who already live on the planet and have adapted mm -hmm. to living in this like sand world society in the in where water is the currency, like water is everything, moisture and yeah. bodies and all that. Uh, but yes, I agree with you. I feel like that that element of it again is really well developed and well thought out. And I think Paul's introduction to that group and the way things progress with those two, uh, I think is. Uh, it's just pretty compelling, you know, like it, <laughs> it, uh, it really works in a way that, I don't know, it's hard to make that happen. I think, uh, when, when, <laughs> again, when you're dealing with that inevitability, it's hard not to be like, Oh, here we go. But you don't feel that way. You know, they really yeah. like Paul's introduction to the Fremen, I think plays out pretty well in both the, the book and the movie. Were there certain elements or themes to the book that you gravitated towards more than others? Well, I, I think, um, I'm always interested in, religion and i'm also oh, yeah. interested in ecology so yeah. those are two like very very big yeah themes. boy and so what do you think is part of why i loved it so much and and i on the religious side of things um i 
you know, you, you talked about how Paul is a little bit different than someone like Luke Skywalker or even Anakin, someone like that, because he has this religious fanaticism that follows yeah. him, whether he wants it to or not. Right. And and I thought that was really, really interesting. And I also loved the elements of, um, so there's like the Bene Gesserits, which are this order that has existed for centuries. Sort of and... a, a mystical, <laughs> quasi-religious kind of... Yeah, exactly. But they've been implanting... Um, sort of religious mythologies in different planets yeah. all around the galaxy. Um, and that's a way to protect future Bene Gesserits should they find themselves abandoned on a planet right. that they'd be able to sort of latch onto these mythologies. Um, but then it's interesting because Paul enters into this culture that has had one of these implanted mythologies. Yeah. Um, and he's like the fulfillment of right, a prophecy, right. <laughs> which you could see, which you could see as an artificial form of religion because it, it's been planted. Right. Um, but it's also been integrated and adapted into yeah. this culture and this group of people. And Paul is genuinely, genuinely fulfilling yeah. the prophecy, well, you yeah. know? I mean, you're he's, exactly he's right. He's the guy. He's the chosen one. He's and, the Quizas Hatterock. And because, <laughs> and because it's so layered so deeply for so long in there, you can't separate the two, you know? So, like, yeah. whether or not it was artificial in the beginning, it ceases to be artificial, you know? Yeah, which I think is a really interesting, uh, you know, when we're looking at religion, there's so much, yeah. there's always question of like what's authentic and that's not real and yeah. this came later and uh but but it all blends together eventually yeah. and and i think uh frank herbert did a really great job of addressing some of those keys key issues in religion in a way that like star wars doesn't right they yeah. just don't go there don't. you know yeah. <laughs> yeah i i mean i think the the political side of it for me like especially reading the book was something that i was really intrigued by because i mean it's just this big like intergalactic chess game that's happening, mm -hmm. you know, where like people are just working on so many levels. And so like the ripple effect, I think little, little things would happen and there'd be this ripple that would kind of change the whole landscape. And I really, I liked that. I thought that was a cool element of it. And that was something that like, I would want to see more of like, you know, when I was like halfway through Dune, I was not anticipating that I would want to read Dune Messiah or, or any of the others. <laughs> but it did kind of leave me being like, okay, well then here we are. So what now? You know, like I, yeah, I do want to know that. So I, I mean, I'll go as far as you're going, Sarah, how far are you going in this Dune series? I'm going to the end. You're, you're going to, you're going to ride this train all the I, way to, okay. No, I'm at least going to read children of Dune, which is book number three. Yes. Um, I would probably read all of the Frank Herbert originals, but yeah. uh, I don't know if you get to the end of Paul of Dune and you think it's worth it to read some of his sons, Brian, Brian's uh, books. Yeah. I would, I would maybe dip into You'd them. But, um, okay. Yeah, I, that kind of, that feels like a slog to commit to that. Yes, I, no. Well, I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, yeah. I, I looked at Paul of Dune as like an extra credit assignment, you know, <laughs> which I didn't do in college very much. But here we go, you know. So yeah, I mean, I'm I, I, like I said, we're we're on this track together, sister. So you know. Well, I would definitely. I think reading Dune Messiah. Um, is probably worth your time if you okay. if you enjoyed the world if you if you want to read more uh, it clarified some things it had some interesting turns for for the characters uh, okay and like i said getting to the end of that that felt like the first book okay like like a coherent you're saying book. like dune and dune messiah together felt like one book yeah oh. to me to me because you follow him through the whole story right and then, you know, I, obviously more things happen. Right. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but but I do think those two fit together pretty nicely. Okay. All yeah. right. I'll do it. I'll do it. I All finally right. got my copies back from you, so I can I can keep going. I, know, I just, I, yeah, I stole Dune number one uh, back, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do I, it together. I appreciate a book that where, like, after I'm done reading it, my, like, my star rating kind of gradually goes up the more I think about yeah. it. And I think that's definitely true of Dune. Because you know? mm -hmm. yeah. I was, I mean, even though I enjoyed it, like when I, when I got to the end of it, I was glad to be done. You know, I was yeah. like, yes, you know, and then. What I, I was going to say, it's, it says something about a book uh, to, to have parts that you really don't like to, to not fully enjoy it. Right. Still yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we have the whole collection of Dune books and we have a lot of the, uh, we have all the Frank Herberts and we have a lot of the, uh, the Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson's one in the collection right in Wellsville or wherever you are in the Southern tier library system. You can place a hold on it and you can get them. But Sarah, two thumbs up for you on both the book and the movie. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. 
I, I didn't know how I was going to feel about the movie. Uh, it did kind of make me want go back, want to go back and, and watch the 80s one. Do you think you'd ever do that? I would absolutely do that. You would. We should You're in. I, I yeah. agree. I absolutely. And I know that there was also, there was a mini series with James McAvoy called Children of huh. Dune, which covers Messiah and Children of Dune, the books. Mm. So I don't know. I would also watch that. I mean, again, I, I'm invested in this world. Yeah. I don't know how long I'm going to go, but... I can picture myself as an 80-year-old okay. on a plane or a train going to a doctor. Right, sure. <laughs> you finish your latest Debbie McCumber and Nicholas Sparks, and you yeah. say, hey, what's uh, what's Frank Herbert up to? Yeah, what's he, happening in Dune? He's dead, but yeah, there's lots of, yeah. lots of the books. All right, well, Sarah, this has been uh, quite a journey that we've had together, and I look Glad forward to, to, to future stops. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Any final thoughts? Did you uh, did you listen to our Halloween episode that your wife was on? I did not. I'm, I told oh. you. I'm oh, <laughs> I can't listen you're to married things. to her. You're married to the Queen yeah. of Halloween, and you, well, which oh. means I get to listen to her all the time. That's true. Know? Good point. My whole life is a podcast. That's with a Sally, good, really. That's a good point. That is a good point. All right. Oh, well, next Halloween, you can. There's seven. Next. There's seven Halloween episodes now. So. I have so much to catch up Next on. Next Halloween, you could do a whole full day's work just listening to the, the past <laughs> Halloween episodes. I'll try for you. For All her. right. Well, I guess that's going to dune it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. That was, uh, I'm tired. It's, it's, a long, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. All right. Well, thank you to my guest, Sarah Jacoby Murphy. She and I will be continuing to read dune books somewhere. So if you ever you're home alone reading a dune book, just know that somewhere Sarah and I are the same moon of mm-hmm. saturn reading uh reading a dude book with you my friends that's right mm-hmm. always so long sarah bye nick <laughs> <laughs>